And we're going to look this morning at Acts chapter 19, beginning at verse 11 down through verse 20. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away for the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Here ends the reading. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray you'd be powerfully present with us this morning as we open our Bibles to look at this passage from the book of Acts. We pray that your sovereign spirit would be at work among us, that you would pry open our cold and resistant hearts, that you'd put away from us all those distractions that keep us from hearing you, and that by your grace, Father, we would hear your word, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> One of my favorite preachers is um, a Welshman named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's with the Lord now, but for 30 years he pastored a church in London called Westminster Chapel. And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, actually influenced a whole generation of evangelicals in England, including a number of very dear friends of mine who either came to Christ initially or, or just grew greatly in Christ through Dr. Lloyd-Jones's ministry. He was a, a doctor of medicine. He, he was actually a, a man who uh, had been to medical school, but he also uh, was a great doctor of theology, a great man who knew and loved the scriptures and proclaimed the scriptures for decades in the center of the city of London, one of the world's great capitals. And from there, his teaching went out around the world. Well, uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones preached a sermon on this passage. Uh, on Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 20, many, many, many years ago, before many of you were born, uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones uh, preached uh, on this passage to a filled house at Westminster Chapel. And he began by talking about the terrible condition of the church, uh, he was talking 
it, an interesting time. It was just after World War II, and uh, all these soldiers and their families were back in London. There was, in one sense, an optimism, but in another sense, uh, a sense of huge cultural transformation. And the church was having a very hard time keeping up. It had a hard time sort of penetrating the gospel uh, to these people who'd been through so much. And so he preached a sermon about the danger of nominal Christianity. Uh, He lived at a time where all these people were coming in. They had all kinds of deep issues. uh, And uh, the church in many quarters there in central London and elsewhere was trying to address these huge problems with a very thin Christianity. Uh, just sort of the traditions of the English people. England has been a Christian country for over a thousand years. And uh, so there were those in the English church who were trying to address these huge cultural as well as deeply personal issues with uh, kind of an empty traditionalism. Uh, Going through lots and lots of motions, but having very little substance. And so Dr. Lloyd-Jones says... uh, writing and preaching many years ago, that the sons of Siva are an example of this kind of the problem of nominal Christianity. Looking back to this anecdote told millennia ago, uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones sort of pointed out some interesting parallels between these sons of Siva and the nominal Christianity that was prevalent in his day. Well, Here we are in 2021, and let me tell you, nominal Christianity has not gone away. If anything, it's gotten more and more nominal, or maybe even less and less nominal, because to be truly nominal, you have to have a nom, (laughs) right? You've got to be at least under the category of Christ. That's what he was talking about, people who had the category of Christ. Uh, but had none of the substance. Well, today we live in a time when actually fewer and fewer people know the name of Christ in any meaningful sense. Yesterday at Presbytery, we heard a report from some of the RUF ministers. RUF is the PCA's Reformed University Fellowship College Ministry at colleges across the country, and there's several very active groups in our area, including some that uh, Metrocrest supports, and uh, so there were reports from each of these RUF ministers, and it was amazing to me how many of them stood up and said, I'm actually preaching in a deeply post-Christian environment. I'm bumping into more and more young people who have no meaningful understanding, not only of, of the, the deep things of Christianity, but it's gotten to the point where you can talk about Moses And a bunch of people in the room don't really know who you're talking about. Just so removed from the Bible and from the things that the church has always proclaimed. So what we're going to look at this morning was nominal Christianity, the the problem of nominal Christianity, as it was a, a problem generations ago in central London. And it's a problem today. And it all boils down to these, these seven sons of Siva. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The book of Acts is peppered with these different anecdotes. There's, there's a lot of history, but then there are also these interesting little vignettes, little stories. 
And these little stories, whether it's uh, the story of Cornelius, we read about Cornelius a while ago in our study of the book of Acts, or, or the, the story of, of uh, the uh, conversion of the slave girl in Philippi, all these little vignettes, these little stories are actually illustrating what the book of Acts is about. The sons of Siva are actually illustrating a point that the book of Acts is intended to teach us. So this little anecdote, while it isn't a little personal glimpse into something that really happened, but it's deeply personal, it also has application for you and me. We need to learn about the sons of Siva. We need to learn about the problem they had because it will help us with the problem that we have. So I've, I've called this morning's sermon, The Sons of Siva and the Problem of Nominal Christianity. Let's think for a moment about the sons of Siva. We bump into them in uh, verse 14. Uh, there are these uh, sons of a, of a man named Siva. Uh, Siva, according to uh, Acts uh, 14, uh, is called a high priest. Um, there's no record of a high priest in Jerusalem named Siva. Uh, at the temple there. There's no record of that. There are pretty careful records of all the high priests at that time. There's no record of a high priest in Jerusalem uh, named Siva, which, of course, to any Jewish hearer, they, they might jump to that, that, uh, that idea, the, the, the high priest in Jerusalem. We read about the high priests elsewhere in the scriptures, and usually it's referring to the high priest of the temple in Jerusalem. But there was none named Siva. And even if, if there were... Uh, a high priest named Siva, uh, or maybe it was his nickname, uh, even if that was the case, it's hard to imagine what his seven sons would be doing in Ephesus, deep in Gentile territory. This is, uh, this is a very great distance from Jerusalem. It's hard to picture what a Jerusalem a family of social and religious prestige would be doing in Ephesus. So more likely, Siva wasn't a high priest in the sense of the temple in Jerusalem. Um, he might have called himself that. He might have called himself a high priest, someone who had priestly uh, privilege, priestly authority. It could have been a nickname he called himself. It could have been something that other people called him, either because he had some relationship to the synagogues in the area, or it could have been a mocking title. You know, this guy thinks he's the high priest, you know, uh, sort of a mocking put-down title. We're not really told, and it doesn't really matter, except that we know that they're Jewish. The seven sons of Siva are identified, actually, in verse 13, as itinerant Jewish exorcists. Now, that doesn't sound like something uh, that the high priest's kinfolk would be involved in, these itinerant. Actually, the, the uh, word is more like vagabond just sort of wandering. Uh, they, they weren't really connected, just sort of vagabond, itinerant exorcists. You've seen the movie The Exorcist, maybe. It's a long, long time ago. I keep making movie references, and my grandkids look at me like, what on earth are you talking about? The Exorcist was a very popular movie when I was a kid, and it talks about this idea of exorcism, that is, delivering someone from this evil power. Well, these seven sons of whoever Siva was are here in Acts chapter 19, verse 14 and 15, and they are very much at the center of this anecdote, this story. What are we meant to learn about this anecdote? 
Well, from this anecdote, we are meant to learn, I want to say, uh, three or four lessons. I'm borrowing these directly from Dr. Lloyd-Jones, so you can make note of them. These will be worth remembering. Uh, four things we can learn about church today from the experience of the church in Acts chapter 19. First lesson, Christianity is not something you merely invoke. I say merely because the word invoke really just comes from a uh, invocare, which is a, a word to describe calling out, to call out, voke, as in vox, the word for voice. Uh, invoke is to give voice, to call out. And so there's nothing wrong with invoking the name of God. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing inappropriate about invoking the name of Jesus. Uh, we'll called out to Jesus when he needed help. And that's a good thing to do. But it's a problem when we merely invoke. Actually, if you look at the handful of times the idea of invoking is mentioned in the New Testament, it's usually attached to what the pagans did. Not always, but almost always. Invoking was what they did in the pagan temples. They invoked God. They sort of, they, they, if you will, they sort of called out to God to call him into a situation. Um, it's, it's less uh, simply about saying the name and more about having authority over. I'm going to invoke God and call him into this situation. Sort of tell him what to do. And that's the sense in which in verse um, 13... Uh, sorry, verse 13, they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. They, they simply used his name merely as an introduction to their commandment, their instructions to the Lord. Well, Christianity is not something you merely do that. Christianity isn't something you pull out and use, merely use in a time of hardship. Uh, that's not Christianity. Uh, Christianity is not merely a series of words, nor merely a liturgy. It's not merely a code of conduct. It may include those things. Uh, it can be expressed in and through those things to an extent, but it is not merely those things. It's not merely the words we say. It's not merely the, the act of, of saying a formula. There, lots of people think Christianity is kind of like that. I mentioned the exorcist. Look at the exorcist. Uh, there are people who think pulling out a crucifix is sort of a, a, a magical act. And uh, this crucifix, detached from anything else, is just sort of magically supposed to have power over the forces of evil. This mere act of pulling out a, a little representation of the cross and there are lots of people who today think Christianity is like that. It's something they invoke. Uh, maybe they're among the minority that have any meaningful idea of Christianity, and, and yet they think that all Christianity is is a liturgy. It's a series of prayers maybe they memorized when they were a kid, or, or maybe a ritual they did or have done or continue to do. Uh, maybe it's some special name, uh, you know, people who'll just simply say, oh, sweet Jesus. Just completely detached from anything else. It's, it's just simply a, a formula, a set of words they've learned to use. And 
There are a lot of people who think of Christianity like that. It's simply something you use. Well, the sons of Siva, as we're about to see, learn the hard way that Christianity is not something you merely invoke. It's not simply a liturgy. It's not simply a set of words that we commit to memory and then pull out when we need them. Christianity is based on a relationship. It's not merely words. It's based on a relationship. And the the words will reflect and express the relationship, but it's the relationship that is important. That's what's really important. We're going to see that through the book of Acts. It's not simply something we invoke, that we use. And as I say, sadly today, there are fewer and fewer people who really think to invoke Jesus' name in any meaningful sense, because that's what happens. When it becomes merely a set of words, with each passing generation, it's further and further and further away. And you have less and less and less real content. And, and people notice that what happens to the sons of Siva often happens when we merely tack Jesus' name on to our foolishness. People begin to notice. Well, that's never been Christianity. We learned that in the book of Acts. We've actually been learning it all along. Simply saying, Lord, Lord, Jesus said, is, is not what it's about. I never knew ye. I never knew ye. It's not about saying a formula. It's about a relationship. So Christianity is not merely something you invoke. Secondly, Christianity is not something you experience secondhand. It's interesting in verse 15, sorry, in verse 14, 13 and 14, it says, Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. <laughs> I mean, they're very explicit in the, the secondhand nature of what they're doing. They're actually invoking the name of Jesus, and they only invoke Jesus on the basis of Paul's experience of Jesus. And really, they don't know much about Paul's experience of Jesus. They, they just know Paul mentions Jesus, and in verses 11 uh, and 12, Paul is doing all these things. So they simply, in their minds, reduce Christianity to something Paul says, some action he does, something he, some mysterious, magical thing he does. And so they're sort of sharing this secondhand experience of Christ. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you can't have a meaningful secondhand experience of Jesus. It's part of the problem of the whole nominal Christianity thing is as people move away from Jesus, as your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren get further and further away from the gospel, further and further away from Jesus, well, after a generation or two, they're not going to look to Jesus whom their great-grandfather proclaimed or whom their father and mother proclaimed. It gets more and more and more distant, less and less and less relevant. Well, that's, that's one reason I'm so glad that we're launching a Sunday school 
relaunching a Sunday school. Because we want our children to experience Jesus, the power of Jesus in their own lives today, now. We want our little ones to grow up knowing him, not just knowing about him, yes, knowing about him, but as they know about him, coming to know him and to live in a relationship with him. That's what we long to see our children grow into. That's what we aim to do here at MetroCrest is to to pass our living faith on to living disciples. We say from time to time that here at MetroCrest, our number one mission field is our children. God has specially entrusted them to us. And if we're not taking care of them and ministering to them and teaching them about Jesus, well, how is he going to bless sending a missionary to the other side of the world. If, if we don't care about our children and love our children and, and share the gospel with our children, how can we meaningfully share the gospel with anybody? Can, does it really compute that you're really going to be committed to mission over there if you're not committed to mission right here? That's the problem of nominal Christianity, just sort of, doing what we've done because dad and mom did it. And that was a big problem when Martin Lloyd-Jones was preaching. There were lots of people who were Christians because to be English meant to be a Christian. That's all it meant. So they'd pull out the religious paraphernalia every coronation. And if you watch a recording of the coronation that was happening around that time, you'll see lots of religious symbolism Lots of beautiful words, lots of songs, lots of beautiful, beautiful, beautiful prayers. But it was merely tradition. It was merely sort of a second-hand experience. It was something to hear Dr. Lloyd-Jones say in his day, repent of it. Repent of it. The gospel is not something that can be shared second-hand. It's either living in personal right now it's either something we live out and share in the power of the Holy Spirit right now or it is bound to decrease and eventually to die. So Christianity is not something you experience secondhand. It's also interesting in verse 14, these, these uh, Jewish uh, men who were, verse 13, Jewish exorcists, uh, we know Paul was hounded pretty regularly by these uh, men who are called Judaizers. Uh, scholars identify this group of people who had a Jewish background of some kind. And it seemed like they just sort of followed Paul wherever he went. Some of the letters that Paul wrote were because of the Judaizers. And here in Ephesus, these Judaizers, we know a little bit more about them. Uh, they, they were somehow connected to this man, Siva. There were seven of them. They come in. And the point is, what they brought was a weird form of Judaism. And it was on top of that Judaism that they had sort of plopped the name of Jesus. Sort of pulled it out and plopped it on top of their existing faith system, whatever it was. And uh, they would come in and that was their 
message. This is what they proclaimed. If Paul was proclaiming Jesus, they were proclaiming all of this stuff and Jesus, sort of on top of it or over it, sort of draped over it. Well, Christianity is not something you add to something else. Christianity has content. Christianity has substance. We call it the whole counsel of God. Christianity has a book. We know about Christ because of this book that points us to Christ. One of the things I love about our denomination, it's imperfect, it's a bunch of sinners. But one thing I love about the PCA is our intentional commitment to the scriptures. The truth of the scriptures are central to our life together. Because Christianity has content. We, we don't make it up. It has content. In a denomination I used to be a part of, uh, we would have these annual or periodic gatherings, and we would take votes on things like whether Jesus was Lord. And one of the reasons I left that denomination was because Jesus kept losing. <laughs> he kept losing. Jesus is Lord. I'll vote no on that one. Can you imagine that, that is a, a Christless Christianity. It's a contentless Christianity. It's simply a spiritual wax nose that we can put on and pretend, go through the motions. Well, Christianity is not something you just add to something else that you've made up or that you've inherited or that you brought with you. Some of you um, may know one of my favorite cultural commentators a man named SpongeBob SquarePants. And uh, that's, again, dating myself. There are probably those of you sitting here thinking, who? What is a SpongeBob? SpongeBob SquarePants was a very popular children's cartoon um, a few years ago. <laughs> and my kids used to enjoy SpongeBob SquarePants, and it was often very insightful, the little comments and things that I would learn about our culture from SpongeBob SquarePants. Well, one of my favorite episodes was SpongeBob SquarePants Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, Sunday recipe. And in one episode, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants is very quickly trying to make a Sunday, and he tells us the ingredients. Uh, four cups heavy cream, two cups of milk, one cup granulated sugar, kosher salt, eight egg yolks, two large Vidalia onions sliced, two tablespoons olive oil, more kosher salt, freshly ground pepper, one kilogram fresh ripe tomatoes peeled and cut, 450 grams of granulated sugar, and a half lemon juiced. That was SpongeBob's recipe for a Sunday. Well, let me tell you, uh, the, the recipe was interesting, but don't make that, res- that recipe for a Sunday because what you'll get is not a Sunday. You might get but really, really bad breath, but you're not going to get a Sunday because we know that's not what a Sunday is. A Sunday is a thing. It has, a, it has content. And you can't simply make it up and call it a Sunday. Of course, when you sort of project this out into something as important as Christianity, we realize that uh, at the very least, you're going to wind up with really, 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 really bad spiritual breath, or possibly you'll be poisoned. Because if your content is bad enough, you can die from it. Drano doesn't fit into a Sunday. 
Christianity is, is not something you simply make up and then, and then plop Jesus on top of it, adding him to this other substance. Well, we live in a day when we all have our own recipe for Christianity. It's, it's incredible where we've come to. I, I remember this was years ago, but I, I had a, a pastor friend. I was visiting a, or moved to a city where I was just getting to know the church there, like Will got to know the church uh, and I was getting to know the church and went there, and he was very nice to me. And he said, yes, I, I'd, I'd really be grateful if you'd join me in, our, in my chapel. I'd do a, a morning prayer every morning. And uh, I said, sure, I'll join you. And so I went into his little chapel. Uh, I was thinking about renting a room from him, and I went into his little chapel, and there was a statue of Buddha, and over here was a reference to the Quran, and over here was some whale things, a t- whale tusk, and... And so he would go in there and just sort of do whatever it was he did in his chapel. And he was quite evangelistic about it. He wanted me to share it. But you know what? That's poisonous. It's poisonous. And, and yet that's the way our world kind of thinks about Christianity. It's, it's just something you make up. It's what makes you feel good. It's some reference that that you resonate with, that was beautiful to you, and you pull that into your chapel, you worship that, and maybe it's a story you heard or a movie you saw, and you bring that and you put that in your chapel, and more and more that becomes Christianity or or religion or spirituality. That's what you worship. That's what you invoke in your times of great need. Well, that is poisonous. And to drape Christianity over it is not only poisonous, it's blasphemous. It is blasphemous to make up Christianity and simply plop Jesus on top of the Sunday. That's what the sons of Siva were doing. They were, they were confronting a very real experience. There, were these, uh, there, there was this um, awareness of people who had diseases and evil spirits and all kinds of things were going on. Paul was ministering to them and they come in and they pull out, the sons of Siva pull out their version of Christianity. They drape Jesus over it and they thrust this out. Here, here are evil spirits. I adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Well, it's not very surprising what happens. Uh, the evil spirit definitely, definitely knows Jesus. And the evil spirit had heard of Paul. He recognized Paul because Paul was a servant of Jesus. But to the seven sons of Siva, <laughs> all the spirit says is, who that? Who are, who are you? Who are you? I don't know you. You don't mean anything to me. And it's just sort of like they flick flick the seven sons away. Uh, Verse 16, the man in whom was the evil spirit, uh, in whom was the evil spirit leapt out on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. They got a really rude comeuppance. A really rude comeuppance. We have no power over the forces of darkness in our own strength. If we just haul out what we have hobbled together and plop Jesus on top of it, nothing's good's going to happen. And you know what? I think one of the problems of the, of the ministry of the church today, in 2021, 
is we have a lot of people calling themselves Christians who simply haul out something they've hobbled together, whether it's health and wealth or weird reading about one or two verses, some very secular ideas mixed in. We sort of hobble that out, bring it out. And in a world today that is full of evil and sickness and brokenness and hurt and pain, what do you think is going to happen? Is it any wonder the church so often looks ineffective, weak, unable to respond to the reality of the world? Sort of living in a, in a weird imaginary world, disconnected from reality at best? No, like the seven sons of Siva, very often the church learns the hard way that it's not an incantation, it's not an invocation of a magic power, it's not a set of rituals, it's not something we keep in our pocket and pull out and hold up to confront in this crazy, mixed up, desperately needy world? No. Let me conclude. Um, And I want to discuss nominal Christianity versus authentic Christianity. Nominal Christianity is all about what we do. How well we do it, how beautifully we do it, how convincingly we do it how apparently selflessly we do it. It's all about me, 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 you, 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 us, us, us. That's nominal Christianity. And there's far too much of it in 2021. Far, far, far too much of it. It's it's one of the great sad exports of the United States of America. We just export it to other parts of the world. We heard about it yesterday at Presbytery. That's nominal Christianity. And it is a nuisance at least a blasphemy at worst, a deadly blasphemy that poisons those who are prey to it. But Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, who like Lloyd-Jones was a doctor, Dr. Luke concludes his passage, this anecdote about the sons of Siva, not with them and their foolish antics, but with what the Lord does. Look at verse 17. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. This isn't a call for book burning by the government. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people to bring these books that in their day were very costly that had led them astray, invocations and incantations. They were moved by the Spirit on their own to bring them and destroy them. Apparently it was 50,000 pieces of silver. Let me tell you, that, that would be a lot today. It would have been an unimaginable amount in their day. This enormous response of repentance. And then look at verse 20. And this is just the refrain all through the book of Acts. So, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So beautiful to me. We have this anecdote of a foolish bunch of idiots who tried to do it on their own, make it up as they go. 
plopping Jesus on top of their nonsense, what happened to them was a pretty tough pill to swallow, left naked and embarrassed, ashamed, wounded. But there were others. We're not even told who. Now, we're told at the beginning of chapter 19 that Paul is doing this. But here in verse uh, 17, all we're told is that Jesus was extolled. Jesus was extolled. Countless nameless Christians, maybe from the group that had met in the hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus, who were being taught by Paul and others the truth of the gospel, they were simply doing what Christians do, which is to extol Jesus. It is exactly like what Will said. It is not me, it is not you, it is not us, it is Jesus. And we have our little roles to play in our day. There'll be the famous Martin Lloyd-Jones. There'll be the countless Bill Lovells whose names no one will remember. But Jesus' name, Jesus heals. The focus here isn't on the physical healing. There were miraculous, that word for miracle is dynamos, these, these miraculous displays of God's healing power, physical healing God did that in Paul's day to underscore and emphasize and affirm Paul's gospel ministry in a unique way. I don't think he necessarily does it that way all the time. In fact, that was so unusual, it's written down in the Bible. It's not what we expect every day to have that kind of miraculous power displayed in, in exactly that way. But what does happen today as much as ever is... In the name of Jesus, people are being healed. As Jesus is being extolled, as his name is being proclaimed, there are those who are healed like Will shared a moment ago. It didn't go away, it didn't disappear, but Jesus was there. Jesus did what only Jesus can do and what only Jesus has ever been able to do. That's authentic Christianity. It's Jesus proclaiming Christianity, Bible-driven Christianity, missional Christianity that takes us out beyond ourselves to the world with this life-changing message of God's perfect love in Christ. And brothers and sisters, authentic Christianity is still changing lives. It is still bringing people healing and wholeness, forgiveness, restoration, Well, praise God for that. This little anecdote gives us a glimpse into what we should pray for and what we should aim for here at Metrocrest in our own lives as individuals and as a church.